You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, May 30th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Our area's first significant wildfire of the season erupted this afternoon just over the Yuba County line, forcing evacuations before its progress was stopped at 13 acres. Meanwhile, State Farm lowers the boom, saying it won't insure any more California homeowners. And KVMR's Julia Jim has the latest news from the chambers of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. I'm Madi Bolaños, and this is the California Report. A class action lawsuit alleges that San Bernardino County Children and Family Services is failing to protect thousands of children under its care. The suit was filed by the nonprofit A Better Childhood. Marcia Lowry is the director. Usually, kids can rely on the adults in their lives for stability and steadiness and guidance. These kids cannot. And many of these kids are also being abused while they're in some of these foster homes. And that's not to say all foster homes are bad. They're not. There are good foster homes. There are good caseworkers, too. They just have too much work to do, and they don't have any relief. Basically, these kids are abandoned. The lawsuit comes after a grand jury report late last year found widespread physical and sexual abuse in San Bernardino's child welfare system. The state is also named in the suit for its lack of oversight of the system. California's Department of Social Services says it can't comment on pending litigation. And in a statement, San Bernardino County said it's in the process of reviewing the complaint. With regards to the grand jury report, the county says many of the findings are not, quote, legally obtainable and built off bits of information without understanding how the agency is mandated to operate by the state. New federal data show overdose deaths in California up slightly. Stephanie O'Neill Patterson of KFF Health News has more. Drug overdoses in California now kill more than twice as many people as car accidents, over four times as many as homicides, and more than either diabetes or lung cancer, according to the consulting group California Health Policy Strategies. State data show the synthetic opioid fentanyl, up to 100 times stronger than morphine, was involved in most overdose deaths. California's efforts to battle the opioid crisis include distributing fentanyl test strips and the overdose reversal drug naloxone. The state also has an awareness campaign tailored to young people and recently called on the National Guard to help detect drug traffickers. While applauding such efforts, drug policy experts say lasting change requires lawmakers to examine and treat underlying causes of addiction. A bill to create a task force is now advancing at the state capitol. That was Stephanie O'Neill Patterson of KFF Health News. And finally, the city of Carmel-by-the-Sea is known for its quaint shops, movie star residence, and bohemian quirkiness. It's that bohemian quirkiness that's causing a controversy in the coastal village. Last fall, a group of residents asked the city to change a 100-year-old tradition. Doug McKnight with KAZU has the update. Robert Blaisdell steps outside the Carmel-by-the-Sea post office into a misty rain. Wearing a black jacket and a baseball cap, he shelters the handful of envelopes just retrieved from his post office box. Blaisdell is forced to make the postal run. Almost every day, not, not every day, but most every day. 
get my stuff, get my medications. He must go to the post office because there is no home mail delivery. The only building in town with a street address is the post office. And it's been that way since the city was founded. No street address, no home delivery. But Blaisdell says he doesn't mind the daily trips. I love coming to the post office. Why? See, see my friends, the ones that are still alive. Blaisdell has lived in Carmel for over 80 years, and his idea of the post office as a gathering place for residents was repeated several times as I spoke with others picking up their mail. Some even called it a sanctuary for locals in a town often filled with tourists. But a resident named Cynthia, she declined to give her last name, was not buying the sanctuary thing. I don't see them serving any alcohol. I don't see a coffee bar. I don't see cookies and candies. I see lots of boxes. It's a post office. She says that while the no address tradition is quaint, it's time to change. The controversy came to a head last fall when several residents complained to the city council at its October meeting. Call this meeting to order. Nova, could I get a roll call, please? A handful of residents lined up to ask the council to develop a consistent system of home and business addresses, even if the addresses are not the regular street addresses. Turns out, mail delivery is not the main concern. Addresses are used for everything from installing utilities to package delivery by companies like FedEx and UPS. And relying on the current method of counting the number of houses from an intersection can cause problems as resident Betty Coolis explained during public comment. I live at uh, Monteverde Street, one northeast of 3rd. Um, if you're a person that counts only houses that face Monteverde Street, I'm at 1. But if you count the home on the corner that doesn't face Monteverde, then Betty's house is number 2, not number 1. So I never get anything delivered um, correctly. Another resident, Lance Anderson, told me a horror story of trying to get utilities installed and a bank account open when he moved to Carmel three years ago. They cannot handle the fact that we do not have physical addresses. They don't accept P.O. boxes. I need to spend 20 minutes on the phone talking to someone and then finally, we even have one bank uh, just saying, sorry, we can't, can't take your account. Emily Gary is the city staff person assigned to find a solution. She says the city is working on an alternative to street addresses but does not want home delivery of mail. In fact, the city sees addresses and home delivery as two separate issues. The holdup is getting the post office to agree. We need something formal from the post office that they understand where we stand because we, we do see them as two separate things. That said, there does need to be some kind of address system that is consistent and easy to explain, like the plot number on your property tax or a geo-positioning location. Not everyone has, you know, two or three hours to sit on the phone just to explain our geographic address and, you know, a little bit of our history to the other person on the line. Back at the post office, villagers are going in and out, exchanging bits of gossip and picking up their mail, the way they've done for over 100 years. In a world of short text messages, emojis, and 15-second TikTok videos, the village of Carmel-by-the-Sea does seem a bit out of place. But then, maybe that's the point. For the California Report, I'm Doug McKnight in Carmel-by-the-Sea. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation. Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health on the web at chcf.org lbca. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. 
on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, May 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. It is called the most successful indigenous uprising in North American history. In his multimedia exhibit in Denver, artist Virgil Ortiz time travels through past, present, and future to tell the little-known story of the Pueblo Revolt of 1680. You'll learn more in today's edition of National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Advocates for clean water have reached a settlement with a North Idaho business over stormwater that's discharged into a tributary to the Spokane River. Spokane Public Radio's Steve Jackson reports. CHS Incorporated deals with transporting fertilizer and agricultural chemicals. The company was found to have violated a stormwater permit by allowing runoff that contained excessive sediment and minerals such as copper and zinc to flow into Rock Creek, the tributary of Hangman Creek. The Coeur d'Alene tribe and the Spokane Riverkeeper told the company they planned to sue, and after negotiations, a settlement was reached. Spokane Riverkeeper Jerry White says CHS agreed to modify a basin where the stormwater is collected. The company also agreed to put $152,000 into a fund that aids Coeur d'Alene tribe environmental projects. Coeur d'Alene tribe is doing amazing work and will do amazing work with this fund to actually intercept and stop pollution with the uh, creek restoration they're doing up above this facility. White says the work will help benefit Chinook salmon and red band trout. Both types of fish were hurt by the sediment and minerals in the plant's runoff. For National Native News, I'm Steve Jackson reporting from Spokane. A Cochiti Pueblo artist is showcasing his latest work at a museum in Colorado, using contemporary art to blend historic events with futuristic elements. Emma Vandenindy of the Mountain West News Bureau has more. The year is 2180. The New Mexican Pueblos are under attack by Spanish invaders. Two leaders in metallic combat gear, Omtua and Katua, are going to each Pueblo to share the news about an uprising. That's the premise of Virgil Ortiz's Revolt, 1680-2180, Runners and Gliders. The new exhibit at Denver's History Colorado Museum blends augmented reality and futuristic fashion with more than 800-year-old pottery. It's an artistic expression that's based on the true story of the Pueblo Revolt of 1680. It's America's first revolution, but it's not called that or taught that because of the bloodshed. That's Virgil Ortiz, the lead artist on the project. His ancestors told him about the tribal runners and how they coordinated the revolt against the Spanish using knotted deer hide. At each pueblo, they dropped up a knotted cord to all the leaders and they instructed them to untie one knot every morning. So on the the day when the last knot was untied, then all the people rose up and pushed out the invaders. Experts call it the most successful indigenous uprising in North American history even though it's been rarely taught in schools. I'm trying to educate globally about what happened to our people, the atrocities, the bloodshed, and eventually the peace that came after it, but using art. But this isn't your average exhibit. It explores the concept called slipstream, where events in the past, present, and future are occurring at the same time. 
Ren Batista, modeled for the exhibit. We've got this awesome silver crocodile uh, skin pattern chest piece on with a spiky sort of headdress coming out of the back, and it's all very sci-fi and transformative. The exhibit also features a projection room with colored lights, indigenous symbols, and characters searching for artifacts. Batista says the layout of the exhibit shows that indigenous history transcends time. That heritage has survived on despite the violence, despite the colonialism against them. And so to see it finally being socially relevant, to see voices like Virgil's being highlighted by history centers is such an awesome turn of tides. For National Native News, I'm Emma Vandenindy. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In regional news... The first significant wildfire of the season in our area broke out shortly after 2 this afternoon near Sickard Flat Road near Smartsville in Yuba County. This from the reporting of Ubinet.com. As the fire grew at moderate speed in heavy brush, mandatory evacuations were ordered in the area of Frontier Trail and a roadblock was erected at Highway 20 and Sickard Flat Road. By shortly after 3.30, the fire was mapped at almost 13 acres with a one-acre spot outside the main fire. By just after 4 p.m., the fire's progress was stopped and mop-up operations had begun. Evacuation warnings were lifted around 4.30, but one zone closest to the fire remained under mandatory evacuation. There were no reports of structures destroyed. And a related story broke over the Memorial Day weekend that may not surprise property owners in Nevada County. State Farm has stopped accepting applications for homeowner insurance in California. The insurer cited the growing risk from catastrophic wildfires and the rising costs of rebuilding. In a statement released Friday, the company said its decision to stop further coverage went into effect last Saturday. It applies to both personal and business properties. The company said it will continue to serve existing customers as well as offer personal auto insurance. State Farm said the action was necessary to improve its financial strength. It said it would work with the California Department of Insurance and policymakers to help build market capacity in the state and would continue to evaluate changing market conditions. According to the Insurance Information Institute, State Farm was the leading company offering home insurance in California. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Daytime high temperatures will warm up gradually over the coming week, hitting the mid-80s by Saturday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be partly cloudy with a low around 50. 
Wednesday, expect a high of 73 degrees and sun, except for a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms in the early afternoon. Wednesday night, mostly clear with a low around 53. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, a flash flood watch due to excessive runoff remains in effect through 9 p.m. We'll see a chance of showers and thunderstorms this evening with possible heavy rain, otherwise mostly cloudy with a low around 39. Showers are likely Wednesday with a possible thunderstorm, otherwise partly sunny with a high in the mid-60s. Wednesday night, a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 38. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low in the mid-50s and south wind to 13 miles per hour with gusts up to 18 miles per hour. Mostly sunny Wednesday with a high near 81 and a low around 54. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Are you, dear KVMR listener, dying to know what your public servants are up to, but you don't have the time to sit through endless meetings and comb through esoteric agendas? Never fear, because our own Julia Jem has come to your rescue. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza is the question man as Julia slices through bureaucratic jargon and monitors the mysteries of the consent calendar in the segment we call Soups On. Twice a month, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors meets to conduct business, and twice a month, KVMR's Julia Jem takes what happens and distills it down for us. Joining me now, Julia Jem in the studio. Hi, Julia. Hi. Julia, this meeting that just happened on the 23rd was, um, there was a lot on the consent calendar. Yeah, it was consent calendar heavy. There were 43 items on the agenda, and then also a closed session just before the meeting's adjournment. But the consent calendar consisted of items 1 through 34B. So it took up the bulk of the meeting. Was there any public commentary? There was. In the beginning, it mostly focused on, once again, the Idaho-Maryland Mine Project, people in opposition of it, which is kind of to be expected because the finalized decision still hasn't been made. And the Board of Supervisors will be the entity that makes that decision. Right. So despite the Planning Commission making their ruling, we'll still expect to see people who are in opposition showing up to the soups meetings. So you're referring to the planning commission meeting that happened earlier this month where the commissioners unanimously voted to not recommend that the board of supervisors approve the reopening of the mine. Yes. Anybody speak in favor? No. Was that the bulk of public comment? That was the bulk of public comment, but there was also a comment from a resident encouraging the support of law enforcement, quote, for now more than ever. Somebody that wanted... Law enforcement to be supported right now. And he stated that there's a crime problem in our area, specifically the homeless population contributing to crime, so he says. And he cited that he has been assaulted and a friend of his has been assaulted. And so he was encouraging the support of law enforcement and also neighbors helping neighbors, his words, to tackle the crime issue. Interesting. So now let's move on to those few items that were not on the consent calendar. Was there anything of note? Um, there was item number 35, which was the presenting of a certificate of recognition for Dr. Roger Hicks and Linda Rackmill, RN, for founding and operating Ubidoc's urgent care for more than 20 years. 
So the board of supervisors were recognizing the founders of Ubidocs now that Ubidocs is no longer with us. Yes, and they recognized them in the form of a certificate of recognition. And I can read a part of what that said. Sure. Which was, before Ubidocs established the first urgent care clinic in western Nevada County in August 2000, if a person needed to see a doctor and the family physician was unavailable, there was only one option, the emergency department. Ubidocs urgent care clinic was different. Faster, less expensive than a visit to the hospital, plus you could walk in without an appointment or even insurance. Thousands of county residents have visited Ubidocs for everything from minor injuries to acute illnesses, all handled with care and compassion. That's a direct quote from one of the supervisors? That's a direct quote from the certificate I that see. they received. What else was interesting that wasn't on the consent calendar? Um, the Office of Emergency Services had a couple of items on the agenda, not on the consent calendar. I can just list them off because there were a few. Sure, let's go through them. So the first was a resolution recognizing the Firewise Together fundraiser event that's being held on June 3rd of 2023 to benefit Firewise communities. Then there's a resolution approving acceptance of the CAL FIRE California Climate Investments Wildfire Prevention Grant. The CAL FIRE California Climate Investments Wildfire Prevention Grant? Yes. What's that? It's for the currently active winter storm hazardous vegetation cleanup project. So that would pertain to the winter storms that occurred in, in December of 2022 and January and February of 2023. So this is money to help clean up branches fallen trees and areas where there were like minor landslides from flooding and snow how much it'd be in the amount of nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars so almost a million dollars yes and it would be available for use during the period of may 12th 2023 through march 15th of 2025 almost a million dollars for two years to clean up what happened in these last storms yes and there's also a resolution approving the contract between DUDEC and Nevada County Office of Emergency Services for the Community Wildfire Protection Plan update. Uh, what is DUDEC? So DUDEC is an environmental engineering firm. And the Community Wildfire Protection Plan update would look to advise communities and residential neighborhoods on how they can prevent and protect their homes from wildfires this upcoming wildfire season. I see. So the county entered into an agreement and there was a resolution approving that contract between the county and this environmental firm. Approving the contract, yes, but it's also an update. So it's a plan update. We are coming up on wildfire season. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's lots of wildfire prevention planning happening within the chambers at this time of year. So Julia, you said that there was a closed session? Yes. And while we don't have too many details pertaining to that closed session, we do know that the county council requested it to discuss, quote, two matters in which there are significant threats of litigation against the county. That's interesting. I wonder what that was about. I'm not sure. I mean, it took up kind of a lot of time at the end of the meeting. Interesting. Well, do we know when the next meeting is? It takes place Tuesday, June 13th. And I expect you'll be covering it for us? Yep. All right. Julia Jem, thank you so much for your help. Thank you. That's our newscast for Tuesday, May 30th. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weeknight at 6. 
If you missed any of our newscasts or interviews, you can listen at kvmr.org or at your favorite source for podcasts. And you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.